Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Each month, we host a workshop where we invite a guest expert to share their knowledge and expertise. This week, we're bringing you a recording from a recent workshop. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody, to our workshop, Helping Kids Who Live in La La Land with Robin Goebel. And I know that we've all been looking forward to this. So, Robin, why don't you take it from here? Thank you, Lisa. So glad to be here with you and your community. Such an amazing community that y'all have. For those of you who aren't familiar with me, I am a former therapist. I actually don't do therapy anymore, but I was a therapist for uh, 15, 20 years working with kids with, and their families who primarily were adoptive kid, adopted kids and adopted families, kids who did histories of complex trauma, relational trauma. I now say kids with vulnerable nervous systems and these big baffling behaviors, like these confusing behaviors that were like, what in the heck is even going on? So we're going to talk about these kids whose behaviors aren't necessarily big and out of control. And so sometimes they can even fly under the radar stuff, especially if you have big out of control kids also in your family, (laughs) that these kind of starting to shut down kids can kind of almost disappear or fly under the radar. We're going to talk about those kids today. If you're not familiar with my work, I'm going to give you some resources at the end where you could go and learn a little bit more about kind of the overarching like neuroscience and then metaphor that I use to help kids and families understand more about their own nervous system and their own nervous system experiences and then how that's driving behavior because of our limited time together today, I didn't, I just didn't want to spend any time talking about theory, uh, especially because I have free resources where you could go and, and kind of get that theory and get that background information. So I'm just going to dive right in that the way I, the kind of the model that I have is based on the neuroscience of the polyvagal theory, as well as Dr. Bruce Perry's neurosequential model of therapeutics. And then I hold all of that in context of like the broader field of interpersonal neurobiology and relational neuroscience, which is, was my theory as a therapist and the theory that I'm grounded in and then teach others, you know, how to help families kind of through that lens. So if we're looking at that neuroscience that's available to us, I was a play therapist. So I had to make it like playful and understanding for kids. And then of course they're grownups. So I have always talked with kids about three different like nervous system or energy pathways in their brain and in their nervous system, the owl pathway, the watchdog pathway, and the possum pathway. And the owl pathway is kind of the pathway we go down, or I'll talk about how like the owl brain emerges when we're feeling safe and the corresponding like state or behaviors 
tend to be like calm, connected, socially engaged. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, sitting at math class calm is what I'll say kids. It could be like recess, right? Where we're playing and we have energy, but we're still socially connected and engaged to one another. And there's a overall sense of felt safety. So for me, I talk about that as the owl brain or the owl pathway. Then if we're not feeling safe, and I know y'all talk about felt safety so much, so we've got safe or not safe. When we're not feeling safe, we shift into kind of protection mode. And then there's two different pathways that the nervous system can choose from the watchdog pathway or the possum pathway. The watchdog pathway is kind of your, you know, where what we think about with fight or flight, there's energy, there's activation there. For our kids, they're oppositional, defiant, and mouthy, and maybe taking off or refusing to talk to us, but in this like very energized kind of way, like no kind of way. Aggression, verbal and physical aggression, all of that's watchdog pathway. Then we also have what I call the possum pathway. Dr. Perry calls the watchdog pathway, the fight flight pathway, and the possum pathway, the dissociation pathway. Dr. Porges and his polyvagal theory talk about it just a little bit differently. I've given you those words on the slide. If those happen to be words that are familiar to you, if they're not, they're really not necessary. Okay. So we've got one pathway when we're feeling unsafe, but there's a watchdog pathway, another pathway when we're feeling not just unsafe, but actually the potential for life threat. That's the possum pathway. That's what we're going to talk about today. I I borrow from especially Dr. Perry's work here when I think about how there's really kind of four levels of falling down the possum pathway. There's four levels on the watchdog pathway too. So Dr. Perry differentiates between these four different levels based on the level of like neuroceived danger or life threat. So when the nervous system is experiencing like a little bit of threat and a slight loss of connection and a slight dysregulation, we move kind of into this first level that is the level I call la-la land. Dr. Perry calls it alert level of arousal on the possum pathway. Kind of confusing because I think alert doesn't really match what the characteristics are that we're seeing. So I call this the la-la land stage and we move into a nervous system state of avoidance. And then the behaviors that we see are like being spaced out, ignoring being in la-la land, right? Now I've put here for you kind of what I call, uh, you know, distinguish between like the three other kind of levels of being on the possum pathway. Actually, all the character, all the strategies we're going to talk about today, they really apply to all. So if we get further along in our time together today and you're like, actually, my kid is even more shut down or further along the possum pathway than just la la land. All of these strategies we're going to talk about today apply. How they differ is in the energy that we as the grown-ups are using when we kind of offer the strategies 
as well as we have to shift our expectations for kind of like how quickly the strategies work, right? Like if we have kids who are kind of only in like the la-la land place, the strategies might work kind of quickly. But if we've got kids who are like all the way down into what we would call like shut down, then we have to have a lot more patience and a lot more just awareness of the fact that it takes a long time for the nervous system to come out of being in such an intense state of shutdown. So the difference is in our energy and our expectations of how fast the strategies will work. Otherwise, the strategies are essentially the same with the exception of what I call the trickster possum, which is like a people-pleasing, over-compliance, robotic behavior, overly agreeable. So the strategies that we talk about today, I don't totally apply to that trickster possum. If you have a kid that you feel like is you know, more on that side of things. Like they have a lot of overcompliance, lots of people pleasing, like every, it's just like, yes, 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 yes. Right. Like, and not in a cooperative way, but in like a, I'm afraid to have my own opinions kind of way, then I'm just going to send you, I do have a resource on my website. It's robingobel.com slash people pleasing. Put it in the chat here for those of you who are here live but it's robingobel.com slash people pleasing. And that's specific to like this trickster people pleasing kind of possum. We're going to talk about the other ones today. So the La La Land possum has some kind of general cues and clues. I teach parents to use the cues and clues I offer as just sort of a jumping off point to start to get to know your child and their unique nervous system and the cues and clues that they demonstrate. So for example, my kid who tends to go more watchdog than more possum when he's dysregulated, he has some real specific cues and clues that let me know like where he is, how disact, how dysregulated he is, how activated he is that are really unique to him, right? Like I would never put them on an overall characteristics list because they're like super unique to like him and the kinds of things that he says. So when I give you this slide of cues and clues, I really want you to, to take them as that, just cues or clues. They're just a jumping off point. These are not like definitive, you know, behaviors that tell us exactly where our kids are. That's not even possible, right? We are just using them as cues and clues to get to know our unique child. So this La La Land possum, these are the kids that are starting to feel shut down. There's an, instead of an increase in energy, like what happens for kids when they're on the watchdog pathway, they get more energy and like their arms and their legs and their mouths, right? These kids get less and less energy and the energy tends to like leave the arms and their legs. So we tend to start seeing like a more collapsed body posture. We might see eyes that you're either like staring off into space, like that la la land thing, or uh, eyes that start to go a little bit down. Because in the body posturing on the possum pathway, we start to see like a C shape happening. Okay, with shoulders, torso, eyes, and chin kind of coming down. We might see what we would call like a flatter facial expression. So, not a lot of shifting or changing happening in. Um, facial expression due to like 
there's not a lot of shift or change in affect, right? So it's just kind of a flatness. What's actually happening on the possum pathway, which does have a real physiological basis that Dr. Poor just calls the, the dorsal vagal complex. What happens there is the way that the, the nerves, the, the neurons are sending and receiving information from the body, the muscles in the face and around the eyes lose their tone. So we start to, it's hard to demonstrate it. It's something that really just happens because of nervous system shapes, shifts, but just like a loose, uh, like a, 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 a more kind of flaccidness in the face and this just flatter expression. I mean, I I would say with like 98% of consistency, parents actually use the words, like it feels like they're in la la land. So they're, not very connected to you. They're not paying attention. It kind of has this, I mean, parents will be like, it's like, I want to be like, hello, are you in there? Kind of a feeling. It can feel a bit maybe defiant or oppositional, but it has a different energy sense than the oppositional or defiant behavior that emerges from the watchdog pathway or the fight flight pathway, which has a bit a more intense energetic feeling to it. It feels like an active defiance on the watchdog pathway. Whereas then the possum pathway is just this like, it doesn't feel really that active. It just feels like kind of this goneness, daydreamy. And the other words kids and parents will use like spacey, gazing off, teachers say work avoidant, but also in a very kind of passive kind of way, like staring off into space, maybe just like kind of slowly wandering around the classroom, which does have a different feel to it than behavior we might call work avoidance, but the, but is a very active, like, no, I'm not doing it. Right. Does that make sense? Kind of these different energetic places. And we have to start to learn how to like trust ourselves to really feel into the energy and start to learn our our kids' own kind of unique nervous system. So I'm going to give you five strategies and three things that I see as kind of like common pitfalls or things to look out for when parenting kids who are on the possum pathway, on the la-la land, you know, beginning kind of la-la land, which is like the beginning of kind of going down that possum pathway. But again, these strategies will work even for kids who are in a much deeper state of shutdown. So the very number one strategy is actually we have to recognize that this is a sign or a cue or a clue of distress. My, what I've seen is, especially if you also have a watchdog kid, (laughs) that we really overlook these early kind of cues and clues of our possum kids because they don't seem that distressing, especially compared to watchdog kids. They also can seem just like character, almost like what I would call how we describe like characterological defects. You know, like we'll describe these kids as lazy, Right. And then we'll just sort of like chalk it up to like, well, they're just lazy. Well, let's get a little more curious than that because humans, while humans actually are designed to like 
use the least amount of energy possible to get a job done. That is absolute. That's a survival. Sh- like that. That we need that. All humans are designed to use the least amount of energy to get the job done. Laziness really says mm, there's something else going on because humans, while also wanting to conserve energy, are also designed to be like creative and seeking of new things and information and to have like energy that mobilizes them to engage in the world and engage with relationship. If we're really regularly using words like lazy, we want to just get, keep getting curious about that. Like, oh, I wonder what's underneath that. Okay. So strategy number one, recognize it as a sign of distress, recognize it the same way as a lack of felt safety, as we recognize these more like watchdog behaviors, like aggression. The reason this is the strategy number one is because absolutely without question, like changing how we see people changes people. First of all, it changes us. Like if I'm seeing my child who is frustrating me and seeming lazy or slow or like, oh my gosh, could you just put your shoes on so I'm not late to work again, right? Very valid frustrations on our part. But if we see their behavior as a sign of nervous system stress response, as opposed to just like they're being difficult or they're being lazy or they're not listening to me, it shifts how regulated we are, right? Which then shifts how we respond to them. And our possum kids especially really need us to respond with our own well, our own owl brain, like our own sense of safety and connection. Because if we go to possum kids with our own frustration, our own irritation, which makes perfect sense why we feel that way, but it tends to increase the distress in our possum kids, which defeats like what our goal is, which could be truly as simple as like, let's get our shoes on so we can get out the door kind of thing. So Changing how we see people changes people, but especially it changes us. And then eventually, I actually think this is the most important thing for our kids is that we shift how we see their behaviors. As a therapist, I've seen that to be without question, the number one important thing that as adults, we shift in seeing their behaviors as these deliberate challenging behaviors to behaviors that are telling us about their stress response. And that really actually is a strategy. It is. And I think it's the most important strategy. It's not the only one, but it's a really important one. So that's strategy number one, recognize it as a sign of distress. Strategy number two, then is that we have to slow down and and I want to think about matching their energy. So I teach matching the energy to be with our kids on either side. So with our watchdog kids, we increase our energy. We match them up there with our possum kids. We decrease our energy. Okay. So slowing down, matching their energy, and we can do that really verbally and non-verbally. So like, I'm going to show you a couple of images and you can see like this kid is, I has some of those classic possum stances in their behavior. This kid that I'm showing you is classic possum cues and clues. C-shape in their spine, kind of dazed off, chin is down. They're even, this child is even covering their torso, which is another really common sign in possum kids. Possums cover their head and their torso often. Not always. Again, none of these are like 
always cues and clues, but this kid is taking a very possum body stance. And then this grown up is who's with them, right? Is, is mirroring that slightly chin is down, eyes are down shoulders, right? There's this like she C shape to the spine. This person is using some touch that can be really good for possum kids or not good for possum kids. You have to know your own kid to know if touch is helpful, but touch can be really grounding, which is super important for for possum kids. Like it's a sensory experience that helps their body kind of come back into the now. Okay. So again, here, here's another image of matching an older kid, right? Again, we've got hands covering faces. We've got chins and eyes down. And we've got an adult who's matching their body, but also the best we can tell isn't saying anything, right? This quiet, if they were saying something, I would, I would help parents just say things like, yeah, super hard. Those kinds of things, right? Like with low tone, you know, low energy slow. Now we're not necessarily going to hang out there, especially in sort of the example I gave, which was like, well, we got to get out the door. Maybe and you've got a possumy kind of kid. We're not necessarily going to hang out there forever, especially with a la la land kid with a la la land kid. We can assume that if we connect, match the energy, do some of the other strategies I'm going to tell you, we probably can get their body to start to mobilize again and they can start to be cooperative and bring their animal brain back. Again, the further down you are in the possum pathway, like if you've got a kid who's like regularly shut down or moving all the way into like play dead collapse possum, you are going to hang out in this place a long time, right? Those are my families who's like kids really aren't leaving the house or not going to school. It takes a long time for those possum kids to kind of come up and out of that deep state of collapse. But an, but a true kind of la-la land possum, these strategies, there's an expectation that they'll probably bring the nervous system back into a sense of safety. And then we can, again, kind of move, to- move towards like getting done, whatever needs to get done, like mobilization. Okay, so that was strategy number two match their energy, slow down. This is hard in our very, very fast paced world. Slow down, match their energy. With a La La Land possum, you probably don't have to do that for too terribly long. And if you do have to do it for too terribly long, you probably have a kid who's not just on the La La Land side. They're probably further down the pathway than you thought. Strategy number three is think about ways to connect them to their sensory world. Now I've given you, I've given you um, access to several like handouts. I call them like fridge sheets, like cheat sheets kind of with the strategies, but also some sheets specific with some of these sensory strategies. Again, these are just jumping off points. I tend to think of sensory strategies in these four categories, movement, sensory experiences, like taste, smell, that, that kind of sensory rhythm or breathing. And so I've given you just a list of some very basic ideas, right? Like movement. Think about, is there a way to help this child's body 
get some movement. Now, some of your possum kids maybe would respond to something like, hey, this is feeling hard right now. I can see like getting this homework done or thinking about leaving the house. That's making my brain feel really tired. Let's take big steps together all the way until we get to the kitchen. Big, huge steps. And we get to the kitchen. Let's get a drink of super duper cold water. So you may have a kid who is capable, even when they're on the possum pathway, of big movement, like big, huge steps. Possum kids usually need to get their body moving before they could do anything with a faster pace, like running or playing basketball or something like that. Usually we've got to do something like scaffold them up to that. So when you're with your possum kid, think about the like the pace of the movement you're inviting them into. And is it close enough to their kind of collapsed possum energy that it would be possible for them? It's so like, hey, let's get up and run around the block really quick when you've got this like spaced out la la lamp kid. Might be too far of a like a energetic jump for them. I mean, it might not. Like if that works for your kid, like by all means, go for it. But my point with movement and sensory experiences is when we go down the possum pathway, we start to disconnect from our bodies and from like the reality that's happening right now. So bringing experiences into the body that engages the body can be really helpful. And the nervous system going Oh, I was starting to feel like things weren't very safe, but actually everything's fine here. So I gave you some ideas there. I mean, this is simple stuff, but I know it's really easy to have like a word bank, essentially, of things to choose from running, walking. I used to have kids who would thought it was really funny to take teeny, 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 tiny steps, right? We would like take inching, inching, inching steps. And I thought this was kind of silly. So silliness plus any kind of movement in the body is great. Oh yeah. Someone says that's why crawling or slithering like a snake seems possible, but walking doesn't totally like you're intuitively kind of scaffolding in the movement that feels possible for the nervous system on this side of their pathway. Absolutely. Things like thumb wrestling, arm wrestling, cooking and baking, playing with balloons. When I was a play therapist, balloons and bubbles were like my top go-to things for kids on either pathway, unless you're allergic or have some fear, which some people do have. Generally speaking, balls and bubbles and balloons are things that delight people and sort of do kind of wake up our sensory experience. So we'll have balloons on hand, play around with balloons. Blowing up balloons actually is a great way to get some sensory experience into a possum kid. I have had literally, I can tell you I've had sessions where all we did the whole session was blow up balloons. And then later I have to figure out what am I going to do with this office full of balloons? But the breath, the, that, you know, it's a lot of work to blow up a balloon. You know, it starts to kind of bring that nervous system up. Temporary tattoos. I don't think I have that on this list either. I might on the next page. Temporary tattoos are a really great thing for possum kids. Crafty kind of stuff. We might play around with seating options. Like I'm sitting in a seat right now that moves and that can be really good for possum kids. So think about that, like at your dinner table or your 
like living room furniture where your kids are lounging. Is there a way in the way that they're just lounging that they can get some movement, like a rocking chair, recliner, an exercise ball, things like that just can keep a teeny tiny bit of movement going, which can be really good for these kids. Small fidgets, Legos. So these are like, again, we're thinking about movement, but on a really small scale. Thinking about your five senses, again, like smelling, seeing like visual fidgets, like, you know, those like thing, like, like, well, they kind of remind me of, of like sand timers. You can like flip up and down They're They're like water-based and then they have like colorful oil in them. So things that kind of stimulate slightly the visual sense can be really helpful for possum kids changing the smell in a room. So essential oils, simmering cinnamon, playing around with your air fresheners. If you use air fresheners, just a change. Then there are certain smells that might be more like alerting, like peppermint or citrus. But I really think about just inviting a change. Like it tells the brain to like, oh, pay attention to what's happening here. And then it tells the brain, oh, and what's happening here is safe. Taste. So drinks and snacks, especially drinks and snacks that like pack a sensory punch, sour, hot, really cold, really sweet, crunchy, salty, things that have like a little sensory punch can be really helpful. Changing what's like you hear auditorily in the environment, like what you're like, what music is playing maybe, or maybe like an audio book that's out. Just think about like, what's the background noise? Like, what are we hearing right now? Playing with touch sensory kind of stuff, shaving cream, water beads, again, like cooking and baking um, can help the, these possum kids. There's a sense called proprioception, which is the sense that helps us uh, know where our body is in space. It's in our muscles, tendons, and joints, things like weighted blankets, lycra, deep pressure, help with our proprioception um, or give us more proprioception. Our vestibular sense is in our inner ears and it's with like our balance. So our vestibular sense is engaged with things like swinging, jumping, skateboarding, like those kinds of movements. That can also be, again, kind of offering some vestibular experience can be helpful. I'm going to give you another resource, which is the book, The Connected Therapist by Marty Smith, who is a occupational therapist, brilliant occupational therapist, expertise in our kids. She's trained significantly with everyone important, especially like Dr. Perry. She's also just highly relational. So she really values these sensory and physical experiences in the context of relationship, Marty's TBRI trained, all that good stuff. So the connected therapist is chock full of ideas for supporting our kids with our sensory systems. And I think that can be super helpful for kids who regularly fall down the possum pathway is paying attention to their body and their sensory system. I've also given you just some ideas here for incorporating rhythm, rhythm, making music, listening to music, but also think about how gross motor experiences have rhythm in them, right? Like walking, running, swimming, there's rhythm in those experiences. 
tossing a ball back and forth, blowing bubbles back and forth, hand clapping games, all of that has rhythm. And then helping kids take control of their breath can be really helpful as well. So I already talked about blowing up balloons, blowing bubbles, right? Because bubbles only work if you take a good breath, like, (gasps) right? So in the kids in my office, they would like, (laughs) or they would blow so pathetically, like, like no bubbles would come. And so bubbles are kind of the perfect way for the material, not us, to be the one that's giving feedback, They have to have a good breath for bubbles to work. And I can tell you, I don't know that. And I have worked, y'all, I worked with the most dysregulated kids. Like my office is where the kids came that no other therapist knew what to do with. I don't know that I've ever had a kid not be motivated, at least for maybe a moment to do, to get good bubbles out of a bubble wand. Sometimes the kid will like get good bubbles out of a bubble wand and then they'll realize like, oh shoot, I sort of just did what these people wanted me to do. And then, you know, might get dysregulated after that, but there was still a moment, right? A moment of blowing that bubble. Just don't hand the bubbles to the child. Keep the bubbles yourself in your own hand. Keep the wand, maybe even yourself and blow them that way because handing bubbles to a dysregulated child just means the bubbles are going to get dumped. Now we're going to have bubbles everywhere and also a disappointed child who has no more bubbles to blow. So that was strategy number three. Oh yeah. Bubble gum for sure. Great. Yeah. I would put that kind of like in the, well, one that's in the taste category, but also proprioception. So you're getting sensory experiences in the mouth again, through our taste buds, but also through the proprioception that's happening when we're chewing. And I let kids self-select how many pieces they need. Some kids need a lot of proprioception for their bodies to get what they need in order to come back into safety and regulation. You know, so uh, when kids are taking a lot of gum, what I take that to mean is they need a lot of proprioception to kind of bring safety and regulation back. I take bubblegum rules from Karen Purvis and TBRI, right? Bubblegum stays in your mouth or in the trash can. No other place. That's it. And I really actually have a lot of success with kids with bubble gum too. Like you can have gum. Always you can have gum. Stays in your mouth or in the trash. Because otherwise they're like, or like when they get five pieces of gum in their mouth, they're like drooling bubble gum out. It's pretty gross. So we just be like, "Uh uh-oh, bubble gum's not in your mouth anymore. Let's spit it out, start over. Okay, strategy number four, change or remove the stressor. This is a hard one because it's like, we've got things to do. We've got homework to do. We've got school to go to. We've got chores that have got to get done. We've got a discussion we have to have. We've got a meal to get done. You know, things have to get done. And I totally get that. For our La La Land kids, we're thinking this is a mild stress response. We should be able to remove the stressor briefly, bring back safety and regulation, and then be like, so we paused homework an hour ago. I think if we just go back to it for about 10 minutes, we'll be able to just wipe it out. Are you ready to get back to homework? Okay. So theoretically with a La La Land possum, you're pretty easily able to kind of get them back into what I call their owl brain. If you have a child that doesn't come back easily, 
you probably have a kid who's further down the possum pathway than just la la land. Okay. Those kids sometimes need us to remove the stressors more long-term. Like we just have to sometimes come to the acknowledgement that like, they just can't do it. They should be able to do it. They should be able to go to school. They should be able to do this, this homework. They should be able to do this chore, but they can't. And until we lower the bar enough that we are lowering their stress response and giving their stress response, the opportunity to kind of heal and find safety again, like these, we're not going to make any progress on these things. So again, for a la la land possum, we can usually lower the bar, decrease the stressor in the short term. Like just take a break, go do a sensory thing. We're like, oh, we've got to finish that homework. Oh, we've got to finish that chore. If they're a lot further down the possum pathway, you might be thinking about like, I think I have to really change my expectations for my kid. Then the fifth strategy, and this is especially true for the further down they get the pathway, sometimes we just have to wait. And I say waiting with certainty because when our kids are kind of falling down that possum pathway, it's it's not difficult for us to also fall into feelings of like helplessness and hopelessness. This will never get better. Okay. That's us also falling down the possum pathway. But if we can think about this idea of like waiting matching their energy, being with, but also maintain our own sense of thoughts that are like, I'm doing what my child needs right now. I'm seeing their stress response and tending to that. My child and me are doing the very best that they can. That's that idea of like waiting with certainty. The certainty is possum kids actually don't want to live on the possum pathway. It feels like they do, but they really don't. The nervous system wants to find health and vitality and safety and connection. So if we just kind of hold that in the back of our minds, that helps us not fall down the possum pathway. And if you are parenting a kid who is very regularly falling down the possum pathway, you know, you just need to wrap yourself in support, which obviously all y'all are already doing because of of you being here and that kind of stuff. You recognize the need for support. I have found parents of kids on the possum pathway sort of minimize like how hard that is for them. And in some ways it's like, I don't even deserve the help. I don't deserve the support. Not like this other person I know whose kids like, you know, lighting fires or punching you know, punching their peers or the teachers, right? Actually, we all, well, we all need it, but our possum kids are, are a little sneaky, but not on purpose. It just can come out of nowhere that all of a sudden we're joining them on that possum pathway. So we really need a lot of support if you have a kid who lives here. Now I'm going to talk about the three pitfalls that I see when parenting kids who are slipping onto that possum pathway pretty quickly. And the first one is that we've overlooked that this is dysregulation. Now I'm aware of the fact that this is essentially strategy number one, which is recognize this as a sign of stress. This is how important this one is that I'm bringing it back again. Number one pitfall for possum kids is overlooking it as dysregulation. 
and then labeling it something else. They're just work avoidant. They're just lazy. They're just giving me a hard time. They just, if you hear yourself saying they just, you are probably joining them a little bit on their possum pathway too, because that is a statement of kind of helplessness and hopelessness. So really see it as a stress response. The number two kind of pitfall I see is that we have watchdog brain responses. People on the possum pathway feel really scary to us. And we then have a stress response. And sometimes some of us are more likely to kind of match them on the possum pathway, but a lot of us actually tend to respond with a watchdog brain response. We're frustrated, we're angry, we're yelling, we're critical, we're kind of the opposite of what a possum kid needs. So this is no criticism, no shame, no blame. We're all just learning more about our own stress responses. So if I can notice that la-la land thing makes me go, ah, then I can start to notice my own symptoms of my own stress response, take a breath, ground back in my own owl brain, and then do one of the strategies that I've already suggested. The third one that I see on the possum pathway is pushing interventions too hard. And what I see, and this is kind of like having a watchdog brain response. What I see and what I sometimes do myself too is I got a kid who's like really checked out, kind of la la land, possum me. And I'm like, hey, do you want to drink of water? Oh, I know. How about some bubble gum? Oh, let's play balls. Hey, I know. Let's do jumping jacks. <laughs> It has this sense of like kind of watchdoggy ourselves in this very helpful kind of way. Like, hey, let's do this. Hey, just try this. Oh, I know. How about this? So when offering possum kids supports for their body or their sensory system, again, we have to think about matching their energy, right? Like, hey, Sometimes when my brain starts to get kind of foggy, I have found it's really helpful to have a piece of bubble gum. And I have some right here. You want to try some bubble gum? Or you don't even have to be that overt about it. You could just like hand them a piece of bubble gum or sometimes even just having it out, right? Or sometimes I'll start like tossing a balloon myself, like to myself. You know, it's like playing with a balloon here. Then eventually like the balloon kind of gets away from me, or maybe I purposely sort of like send it their direction. And now they're kind of tossing that balloon themselves too. And then maybe I start to get involved in like a back and forth kind of a thing, right? So match the energy with the interventions. That's a really, really, really important thing. Okay, so I want to be really mindful of time and also know that we, there's so much about this to cover. So I do want to give you just two quick, well, three quick resources. One is I have a free webinar on my website. It's robingobel.com slash webinar. And it overviews this whole owl, watchdog, and possum idea. So if, if you've never heard me talk about this before, you're like, oh, this is interesting. You can go get the foundations to that there. It's free. It's like an hour long webinar. It comes with an ebook. So if you'd rather get the information that way, super easy. It doesn't really have interventions. You're not going to get interventions there, but it's going to give you like the overarching ideas behind the owl, watchdog, and possum pathways. And then I do have a podcast where we're talking about this stuff all the time. 
and specifically I've already directed you to the one for the people pleasing. So if you have a possum who people pleases, you're going to want to go ahead and listen to that episode. And then owls, watchdogs, and possums are what I've covered in my book that's coming out very soon. That book is coming out. Well, Robin, thank you so much. This was packed with really helpful, wonderful information. So for those of you attending live and those of you in our Reclaim Compassion community, you will be getting a link in uh, email for the recording of this presentation. So you can go back and watch it again as many times as you like. Also, Robin referred to a handout that she has for you. We will be emailing a link for that as well. So by tomorrow, you should be getting an email from us with that information. So Robin, before we go into Q&A, can you tell people, well, you've already told them about your website, but do you want to tell them where they can find you on social media? And I also want to reiterate that Robin's book is coming out in September, probably just a couple days after this podcast comes out. It is already getting tons of pre-orders. So tell us a little bit more about your book and tell us where they can find you on social media. Yeah. So on social media, on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com slash I think it's Robin Goble MSW, but you just have to search Robin Goble. It's yeah, like trauma, toxic stress. Yeah. Spell your name Robin. Oh, thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. helping me with this. Yes. Robin is with a Y, R-O-B-Y-N, Goble, G-O-B-B-E-L. And I'm real easy to find on Facebook and Instagram. And I post there really regularly. So try to give lots of tips and goodness over on social media. And then, yes, the book is coming out September 21st. It's called Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain Body Sensory Strategies That Really Work. So like I, you know, my history is kids with complex trauma, specifically adoption and attachment loss. So that is my lens. And that's largely what the book is about. Though what I found over the years, and I know this is Lisa and Melissa would say the same thing, is there's lots of things that lead to some nervous system vulnerability that the way that we work with our families, it benefits those families as well. Um, so the book is a very comprehensive dive into the, this nervous system approach and the, the owl pathway, the watchdog pathway, the possum pathway, you know, lots and lots of very practical interventions as well as uh, a section, the third section is all about us as parents. How do we kind of take what we've, what we've learned in the book up until then and really allow it to help us be with ourselves with compassion? You know, that we, you know, huge belief I have is our kids are doing, you know, the very best that they can regulated connected kids who feel safe are doing well but that's also true about parents. So I'd spend, you know, about a third of the book really addressing that as well. Wonderful. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. We are so thankful for the amazing guests who share their wisdom and expertise with us. Adoptive parenting gives us both the challenge and the opportunity to keep learning new tools and perspectives. If you'd like to hear more from our guest and get support on this topic, all of our workshops, including the Q&As, 
are available to folks inside our group coaching program called Reclaim Compassion. To learn more, go to reclaimcompassion.com. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.